It's November 17th, 2022, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Happy Turkey Day, or happy almost Turkey Day, everyone. It's just just around the corner, and it's hard to... I always think it's hard to believe that that much time has passed so quickly, but here we are, middle of November, and and I'm just thinking, okay, James's parents get into town tomorrow, and then I've got the the tour of homes kind of thing <laughs> on, on Thanksgiving where I go to my sister's, then we go to James's brother's, uh, and then we get to go home, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's God. It's just hard to believe that it's that it's so close, and just I'm just boggled by the whole thing. And I, I what are you guys? What are you guys gonna do? I mean, are you gonna try to split it between your parents and and having face mom? Are you guys gonna do everything at your house? What's the what's the goal this year? You know, we honestly haven't thought that far ahead. The the there's been so much going on that we're just kind of be, we're just kind of in survival mode at the moment. Riley lasts Riley Riley got stitches on last Sunday, and so this week has just been okay. Let's not touch Riley's chin. Let's leave Riley alone. She's generally not feeling so. I mean, she bounced back pretty quickly, but at the same time, it's like okay, it just feels like one thing after another, and I'm just like okay. Thanksgiving's coming up. Okay, you know what? We've got two kids. We have enough relatives in town that we'll let them figure it out and we'll just go along with what everybody else decides. So Well, that sounds like a sounds like a good plan. I, I you know, I, I don't have to do anything for, for either one that, that I go to. I really don't have to do anything because, you know, I'm I'm in the car and, and my sister will have stuff ready or I'll get to my sister's and she'll actually be making things. Um and then, of course, by the time I leave there and go over to to James's brothers, it's it's already done. I mean, they've they've everything's been in the oven. I think last year I was actually late. They went ahead and started without me, which was fine. But yeah, if if you don't have to cook, it's great. <laughs> it's the start of the holiday season, and and we will all endure. But in the meantime, we wanted to talk about something kind of unusual today, and and I think this is one of those things where it's a conversation that I think contract workers or we think not me but we think that the contract workers and at the same time the people who are employing these contract workers kind of need to hear and 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 maybe some clients because I don't know that clients always understand stand this topic gener- generally and what we're talking about is compensation and how you and not necessarily in the how much do you make sense of things but really looking at what it means to be a contract worker and how do you work out what your your billable rate is and what does that compare to the how an employer calculates your salary and what your expenses are and what they're billing their clients because those things are are very very different and it's not it's not something you can compare apples to apples and a lot of people don't understand that um, so so we just thought it'd be an interesting conversation to have and something to talk about especially if you're you're thinking about going out on your own and just doing some contract work on the side because a lot of times it's hard to know what your value is and what your worth is and I think for both of us this kind of will give us you know give whoever's listening the the people who are thinking about this will give you guys an idea of of how to how to determine that and and what that really means so so we just thought it was something that that 
a lot of different people needed to hear. And, and oddly enough, it is this isn't something that just we've been planning on for all year to talk about. This is something that came about because of something that happened to Matthew. So I'm going to let him tell tell you exactly kind of what went on with him and sort of what's driving this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so today we are comparing the rates of contract workers and salaried employees with the end goal of of convincing people that you just can't convert a yearly salary into its hourly equivalent when negotiating hourly compensation for contract workers. And what this really where this really started was when I left my the firm that I'd been with for six years, first I was just kind of floating. I, I didn't know what I was going to do, and and eventually I did take a, a salaried position for about six months. But then I was like, well, it wasn't quite what I was looking for, so I went off. And for about a year and a half after that, I did contract work until I started my own firm. And during that time, the conversation that I got, that I went into with the people who wanted to work with me on a contract basis was, oh, well, what, what salary are you looking to get? And let's just, re- let's just convert that into an hourly rate. And that's what we'll base your compensation off of. And, and I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, well, no, that's, that's, not, really, that's not really how that works. And, and, and I, I kept feeling like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm like the employer and, and I, the contract worker were on two very different ends of the spectrum. They're thinking, oh, well, I'm overpaying because, you know, it's, I'm paying a yearly salary, but to a contract employer. And from my perspective, it's no, you're comparing apples and pears. Like they're, they're, they may be fruit, but they come from two completely different trees. And that comparison isn't fair to me, the contract worker, while I'm negotiating with you, the employer, as to how we're going to figure out my hourly rate. This is this is a conversation that I feel like everybody needs to hear because like contract work is kind of booming right now. And the, there's employers out there that also need to hear that that you can't just you can't just compare the two. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, it, it becomes part of like, and we were talking about this is, this is about your worth. And even if you're even, you know, we're talking contract workers, but even as a, as an individual, like you own your own practice, I own my own practice. We have to figure out what is our worth and, and what is our cost? Because, because there's a lot that goes into that. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize it, but but yeah, to, to to have them come back to you and say, well, this is what what your hourly rate would be if you were an employee, it you know completely eliminates all the all the mitigating circumstances around what you're asking them to pay, and and for for people who don't typically do conversation, but people who don't typically do compensation, a lot of people don't know how it really works and how do you calculate your hourly rate. But for anyone out there who's thinking about doing doing contract work. Start with what you think you would, if you were working for somebody, what would you be getting paid? And say, say your annual salary would be $80,000. So what you do is you divide that by 2,080, and that sort of breaks that down into what would be a quote-unquote hourly rate. That's what your salary is. And so 
that's a that's an easy place to start. It's not a place to finish. It's a place to start. And some employers will, you know, some some people that are looking to hire you as contract work will will come at you with that. And so you have to be prepared and know that there are multiple things when you're when you're looking at that. Um, and you know, the, a lot of things that, that aren't reflected in an hourly rate in that fashion. That as a contract worker, you have to address and you have to be prepared to defend sometimes, sometimes um, so that whoever's hiring you understands that. And, and I think, you know, Matthew, when, when, when these people came to you, I, I think it was because um, they, they had wanted to hire you originally, right? Or they were looking to hire you at one point. I mean, like a, yeah. as a full-time employee, correct? Yes, they they were trying to convince me to come on board as a, a as a full time employee, but I was kind of wary of the situation just just because too many times in the past I have been told what I want to hear rather than rather than the actual accurate picture of what will be taking place on a job just to get me in the door. And so I was always a little wary of of doing that. So I chose to do a contract route instead, just because it's easier to to get out of out of an employment situation on a contract basis. Right at the end of it, if things aren't necessarily working out, and I'm, I would imagine a lot of people sort of would, would enjoy that because, yeah, if if you are not doing what you're expected, we're expecting to do that can get can get quite frustrating, and so. If you decide that's the route you want to go, if you decide, okay, I'm a contract worker, so here's we want to give you a, an idea of some of the things that you're going to have to consider when you're trying to set what your rate is and, and determine your, your value. Because one of the things that employers don't share with you is that when they're paying you and you look at your paycheck and you have federal taxes and your trying to think federal taxes, sometimes state taxes, depending where you live. Um, social security comes out of it uh, up to a certain dollar amount, but your social security comes out of it. So that's coming out of your paycheck. What you're not seeing is that the employer is also paying a chunk, like basically double of what you're seeing, you know, so, so you're paying your part and then the employer is also paying on top of that, that, that part again. So essentially, when you are a contract worker, keep this in mind because at the end of the day, you're going to be paying both both the employer's tax and the employee's tax. And that can eat up a lot of money. You know, some people are like, oh, great, I'm going to make $50 an hour. I'm like, well, go and stash half of it away because you're going to be paying taxes on that. And that's going to come out of that bucket. And to this day, even though I work for myself, I pay myself as an employee. So I pay <laughs> I pay those taxes and, and just, that's just the way that goes. But yeah, that, and, and that can be a, be a factor there. Um, I, I know for sure that, that my first, I think it's a first, yeah, the first firm I worked for the, the, the rate that the company placed on my hourly was I think 2.7. And that's what they would bill the client because they had to factor in, you know, employee taxes and employer taxes and, and health insurance and that sort of stuff. So you have to take those things into consideration. Something else that, that you, Matthew brought up to me, and I had never thought about this was, was opportunity cost. 
Yeah. So, so, and, and, and you briefly touched on it in, in while, while you were talking about it, but your own health insurance, if you're, if you're a contractor, you, you, if you're an independent contractor, most of the time you will not have your own health insurance. So that's another, that's another thing that if you're paying for your own health insurance that you need to consider when talking about your hourly rate, but yeah, you're, there is an opportunity cost to signing a contract to work with one firm for, let's say they promise you X hours per week of work for you to do. In my experience, that tends to fluctuate, especially if you're efficient at completing your tasks. And, and of course, everybody wants you to be efficient. So if you can complete the, you know, that, that quote unquote 30 hours or, or however many hours they're going to give you in 20. Well, now I've got an extra 20 hours in a week, assuming a 40 hour work week that you've got an opportunity to go find more work because you've completed the contracted amount of 30 hours a week. And, and, and so there, there, there's a lost opportunity of not going and finding other work and being locked down in one contract. So that opportunity cost needs to be built into the rate that you're negotiating with your employer because because you you might be just efficient enough to to not need the full 30 hours to complete all your stuff. And I think of it too as as sort of you you refer to it as opportunity cost. And I think of think of it as experience cost because I am you know I'm much more experienced than whoever you may be hiring or likely hiring to to do this contract work. Um, you're hiring my expertise, you're hiring my ability. And so I am doing things that in an office environment might have to be done twice because you have someone younger and inexperienced working on it. And so instead of them just doing it once, they're going to go back and make, make corrections and have to do things again. So I think when you say opportunity cost for me, that kind of, kind of comes up as experience, but does that make sense to you? Yeah. Your efficiency also works against you on an hourly basis. If you are turning things around in a reasonable amount of time, well, that just means I'm billing less hours to you. And and that's great for your bottom line. But in my experience, that efficiency is it's appreciated by your employer, but it's not necessarily compensated for it. Now, like you can say, uh, people will say, oh, well, you know, if you're efficient enough, you know, if we, if we do well enough on this project, then, you know, I'm more than happy to share any, any leftovers with the people who helped make that possible. And, and, and maybe you do, but in my experience, the goalposts tend to get moved further and further out. Well, we didn't, meet X or we didn't meet Y. And, and there, there's, there's, there's that it's squishy, right? Like efficiency is a, is a squishy way of, of just pushing you to do things faster without a negotiated rate of, of return. If you complete things under budget and under hours. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is, it is very much a, a sort of lost that lost time that lost, lost opportunity for cash. Cause yeah, if you're working hourly and, and you get done quicker, well, yeah, okay, now great. So I've, I've just worked myself out of, out of compensation and yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, so there, there is that factor. I mean, that, that's something that, that you have to consider. The other thing, too, that I don't think a lot of people think about is simply, as an individual, what your overhead costs are. Because, because it's, it is true. It's it, just like they, are, they, as a company, they have their, their costs, their overhead costs, and they have to factor that in. As an individual, you still have those costs, and you have to take that in, into consideration. I know I have multiple expenses for different software um, not just AutoCAD but for you know basic stuff Microsoft Office for for um, Acrobat so I can do you know I can do my PDFs and edit PDFs and all that sort of stuff so I've got office overhead because I actually office so there's that I mean it's just all these all these little overhead costs if you don't think about it you don't pay attention to it you don't realize those things really add up over time so you actually have to take that into consideration too. And as you're, as you're starting to you know determine what your billable rate is, that's another factor you have to throw into it. Something to consider there. But the other thing that I'd never thought of, and, and Matthew, you said this to me and I just was like, Oh, well, yeah, well, that makes sense. Vacation time. You know, I, I go, you know, we go to new Orleans, we go to Key West, we try to do that every year. And when I'm there, both, I don't do any work. And so while I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. <laughs> and just, I hadn't thought about that and that, that, you know, we need to factor those things in. And I, I'll have to ask James how to do that. But, but yeah, um, you know, if you take two weeks of vacation every year, three weeks of vacation every year, you've got to figure out that time and factor that money back into whatever you're charging other people, unless you want to work on vacation. And I don't, uh, I know I don't. And Based on where you've gone for vacation, I know you're not working. <laughs> That's true. It, it's very difficult to work from rural Florida on a, an unstable internet connection. So yeah, no, it, vacation's a, a big one. There, there's just there's so many things built into a salaried employment that just boiling down that 80k that you mentioned at the beginning of your down to its equivalent which which is hourly equivalent which would be 3846 an hour like yes that that is what you would be paying somebody but there's just so much more attached to that number that the on the employer side that it just doesn't make sense to compare a salaried rate with an hourly rate when you're when you're talking compensation and the next the next bit that we'd like to get into is well why is this important in today's world and i would like to start off by saying it's important in today's world because of the pandemic like like ah. i i know <laughs> it, it, it always it always comes comes back to that but like think about this nursing was a very stable profession. Like you usually found the, or in, in a hospital system within your radius of travel. And, and, and that it was, it was a very good, stable position. But then when all these nurses started getting burned out because of the pandemic, the hottest new trend was travel nurses. Let's go to areas where they're severely uh, short-staffed. Let's go to the hot zones of the pandemic and help out there. It's riskier work. 
is work that they do on a contract, but those nurses, because they because they have the availability to go wherever they want and choose the contract that best works for them, they're able to make a buttload of money doing that. And that type of that type of work and that type of flexibility of okay, well, I'm going to go where I'm needed most and and bill a contract rate rather than a salaried rate for that is was only accelerated because of the pandemic like that has become an increasingly regular aspect of employment these days yeah and and the other thing too is you know it it was and i think the i think honestly i think the pandemic well Kind of started before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic really sort of pushed some of this stuff forward, and and that was you know the sort of development of a gig, what they call a gig economy, where you're you're getting paid by the by the job, you're getting paid by whatever task you happen to be doing. And I think the the excellent excellent idea of that, or the the best example of that, honestly, is if you look at the Uber and Lyft drivers. I mean, they are paid for picking you up and dropping you off, and every little thing is a job so you have this job this job this job this job and so if you take that and translate it to say architecture you know you're doing you're bouncing around from project to project that is very much you know that sort of idea of this gig economy and so you're you're talking about you know, I think the problem with the Uber drivers is they don't have any leverage to say, you need to pay me this. You know, luckily for us, we can say, okay, you know, it's not like, well, I've been driving a car for 25 years, so I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've been doing architecture for 25 years, so so I know what I'm doing. And based on that, this is what my value is. So I think there's, there's a lot more opportunities for, for having that experience as a gig, gig economy. I was uh, telling you earlier, and, and I, I may have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I have a colleague in Ohio whose entire architecture practice is basically based on gig economy. He, for every project, he has a team. He will assemble a team somewhere to do that particular part of the project or that these things within the project, and they're they're treating it like a gig. And so they send them a proposal. They say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how much time it's going to take. Here's the cost. These are all the things we'll provide to you. And he looks at it if everything looks okay, he says, go. And that's how he runs his business and has been very successful at that. So yeah, it's it is employment is changing or has changed to that extent, I think, in that regard. So when you're doing that, you know, you think about, you know, all these all these people working for Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all those kind of companies, this is really contract work. They're doing it, doing it by their project. And I think for architects out there and for people who are maybe not quite architects yet, but still want to do work on their own. This is, is kind of what it is. And, and when someone wants to, you know, a, a design build company needs your time or somebody, some other construction company needs your time, then yeah, you have to figure out what that worth is. And, and there's so much more that goes into it. And I, I, I'm with you, I, I don't know that most people realize that. I don't think the employers necessarily realize that i think some of them do and they're trying to get you to drop your rate um because they should know better <laughs> but but for the most part yeah it's it's one of those things that that like i said i don't know that um we really we t- 
talk about much in architecture because we, you know, most people typically work for a firm, but, but there is a thing about knowing your worth and knowing your value and understanding what all of that means. And I think if you're going to decide to do contract labor, you have to understand that. And interestingly enough, in, in the UK, when you, when you start a new job, you actually sign a contract. You have a contract with the company. So you have obligations under that contract. Like if you decide you're going to leave, I think you have to give them two months notice and it's written into the contract that way. So, you know, it's, it's technically their employees, but at the same time, in a lot of ways, they're contract workers because they are tied to that specific contract. But, but yeah, um, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I will say this living with James and, and being married to James, I've learned more about, HR and compensation stuff that I ever imagined or really cared to. <laughs> so, so I'm glad I was able to actually give you some information when we started talking about it. It's always interesting to to hear to hear the other side of that, especially as I'm just now getting into on my own as a business owner. So, but I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for the day. Um, you can always find the podcast at architecturegeeks.com or on Instagram at archgeekspodcast. And Larry? Oh, you can always find me anywhere. No, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Uh, you can always find me, Larry, at spotteddogarchitecture.com or at spotteddogarch on Instagram and Twitter, at least Twitter for now until Elon Musk finally kills it. Um, of course, you know, always share your ideas, your thoughts. We'd love to hear it. And hopefully everyone has a really great turkey day. You don't, well, I'll say don't stuff yourself, but I think we all do. So, so enjoy your time with your family and we will see you again, or you'll hear from us again in December. I think that's going to be our last podcast for the year and uh, have a good time. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.